You know, these large studies have shown that cancer is fatigue during treatment by as much as 80% of the population. Welcome to the 2019 third annual Cancer Conference, Beyond Rest, a rehabilitative approach to managing cancer-related fatigue, sponsored by Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and Kessler Foundation. Cancer-related fatigue is an issue that often develops during treatment and can last for months or even years. The conference podcasts will focus on the impact, screening, and management of the physical, physiological, emotional, and cognitive sequela. Listeners will gain understanding of the various evidence-based therapeutic interventions and the overall benefits of a multi-professional approach. Topics to be discussed will include current research and practice guidelines, as well as the unique role that rehabilitation can play in managing and reducing signs of cancer-related fatigue. This presentation was recorded, produced, and edited by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation on Thursday, August 8, 2019, at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, West Orange Campus, New Jersey. Be sure and check out the conference playlist to listen to all of the other session podcasts. The link to the playlist is in the show notes. In this lecture podcast, Didier Alexander, research scientist at Kessler Foundation, presents Cancer-Related Fatigue, a Research Perspective. My name is uh, Didier Alexandre. I'm a research scientist at the Kessler Foundation. Um, we, our research interests at the Kessler Foundation, which is next door, uh, in cancer-related fatigue uh, is really to try to understand the underlying uh, neuromuscular mechanism of it. But what I want to try to do today is to try to give you a sort of an over overview of the state of research. What does research knows and found about cancer-related fatigue? My talk is going to be divided in three uh, different uh, sections. The first one, I'm going to be describing um, what research has found in terms of the um, prevalence of cancer fatigue uh, as well as the impact that it has on, on uh, daily activities and quality of life. The second part of my talk will be to understand the, to, to um, describe the mechanism, or at least what you know, research has tried to unravel and trying to understand the mechanism of cancer-related fatigue. And finally, what I'll do is cover as well uh, treatment, you know, what uh, research has uh, shown as being effective, you know, in which condition, um, and which one seems to be most effective in general. And I will as well quickly uh, review um, the possible mechanism of action of those uh, interventions. So prevalence and impact. Um, early in the research, there's been some small studies that have been done. But uh, in the past 10 years, there's a few nice studies that have been large studies that are locked. But before we, we look at the prevalence and the impact, I think it's critical to better understand you know, how to define cancer-related fatigue. And I'm sure this has been covered before. But you know, the national... Uh, the NCN guidelines define CRF as a distressing, persistent, subjective sense of physical, emotional, or cognitive tiredness or exhaustion related to cancer, 
or cancer treatment that is not proportional to recent activity and interferes with usual functioning. Why I'm bringing that out? Because in order to understand fatigue, it's really important to understand how to define it. It's, it's not an easy um, symptom to understand because it's usually subjective and everyone has different ways to describe it. Uh, even the same type of symptom could be described in different ways. So first, you know, it should be distressing and persistent, which is important. Second, we realize that fatigue can have different dimensions. can be physical, emotional, or cognitive. And it can be manifested in different ways, as being tired, even without doing any kind of activities. Or when you do an activities, you, know, you feel more tired and exhausted in doing so. And it has to be in, you know, related to cancer and cancer treatment, and we will you know, cover a little bit about comorbidity that could be uh, associated with that. And uh, as it says, it should be, uh, let me see if I can find the pointer here, okay. So the fatigue should be not proportioned to recent activity, which means that, you know, it's not by doing uh, heavy exercise that you would, you know, normally, you know, get fatigue. In this sense, you, you know, people with cancer-related fatigue would have more fatigue and would feel more exhausted. So in terms of prevalence, you know, these large studies have shown that, you know, cancer-related fatigue is experienced by, during treatment, by as much as 80% of the population. And that is fatigue in general. And that is one of the most um, prevalent symptoms compared to all the other symptoms um, that is felt during treatment. Another study, I kind of looked at um, cancer fatigue in a large sample again, which combined different type of cancer, breast, lung, prostate, and colorectal cancer, and found that 45% of uh, the population felt moderate to severe fatigue, you know, before treatment, but as well after, even after complete remission, up to 30% still um, experience fatigue. This study has kind of tried to look at using a meta-analysis. So they basically look at all the studies that have looked prevalence and finding out what kind of factors in terms of type of um, cancer stage or treatment uh, is more related or is more associated with fatigue. And in this case, they found out you have about 23% of the population that have, this is considered severe, by the way, so severe fatigue, experience severe fatigue. And the risk is higher for stage two and three compared to zero and one. It's higher as well for those who has chemo versus no, no chemo. And it's as well higher for those that have combined Treatments. So when you have surgery, chemo, radio versus, you know, and even more, you have an you know, increased risk of, of fatigue when you have all four type of treatment combined. Now, in terms of interference in daily activities, um, there are several studies that I've looked into that. This is one of the largest. 
and recent studies, uh, we show a, diff, you know, a direct correlation between the level of fatigue from this year mild to severe with all kind of impact on quality of life in relation, mood, enjoyment, walking, general activity, and work. So it definitely affects every aspect of life. So in summary, <coughs> cancer-related fatigue is perversive, affecting all cancer type. It's present before, during, as well after treatment and in cancer-free patients. It's most present in those receiving chemo than not and receiving multi-treatment. And is present in those receiving chemo, radiotherapy, and combination, but also with hormonal therapy. So this, you know, I'm highlighting this because there was a, a earlier thinking, and I'm going to cover that uh, earlier, that you know, fatigue was mainly related to toxic toxicity of the treatment, mainly chemotherapy and um, radiotherapy, but it's seen as well in hormonal therapy. And it has serious, serious impact on physical, psychological, mental, and social dimension of quality of life. So what are the mechanisms? What leads to the development of cancer-related fatigue? It's complex, as you can see. And don't be scared. I know it's kind of late, and you may be uh, you know, uh, all fatigue yourself, and you feel, oh my gosh, what did I sign up for? You know, and usually when you ask a scientist to come in, they make things very complicated. But no worries. Um, what I'll do is I'm going to walk through uh, the main mechanism that is uh, believed to um, lead to cancer-related fatigue. So early on, researchers, you know, as I mentioned, thought that um, cancer-related fatigue was mainly due to the toxicity uh, due to treatment, mainly um, chemotherapy and radiation. In essence, you know, treatment is really harsh on the cell, not just the cancer cell, and this leads to DNA damage, uh, mitochondria uh, damage as well, which affect you know, cellular function and leads to um, muscle function alteration, but as well centrally in the brain, neurodegeneration, it affects the nervous system as well, so we see as well um, peripheral neuropathy in some patients, especially with uh, agent, chemo agent like uh, taxol-based uh, chemo agent. And all of this, you know, is believed to lead to, uh, to fatigue. However, as I mentioned before, cancer-related fatigue is not just present in um, radiotherapy or uh, chemotherapy, but it's present as well with people in hormonal therapy. But more importantly, it is seen that even before treatment, people experience fatigue. So this led to think that this couldn't explain the whole origin of cancer-related fatigue, that this should be something else. And now the primary mechanism that people believe uh, is responsible for um, cancer-related disease is inflammation. And that is a sort of a direct uh, biological uh, pathway. And how that works is that 
the cancer or the cancer treatment leads to uh, cell damage or inflammation. And the inflammation release cytokines such as TNF-alpha, TNF IL-6-CRP, which has basic, basically signal, you know, protein, uh, signal protein that, you know, uh, communicate with the, you know, the rest of the, um, the body. And these cytokines triggers a, a series of um, cellular changes throughout the body. One is that it reaches the brain and leads to uh, neurotoxicity. It basically creates neuroinflammation at the brain level, leading to neurotoxicity. It as well affects um, the central nervous system's uh, function, especially the dopamine, which is uh, highly related to fatigue. And that's kind of a sort of pathway for a central origin of fatigue. Uh, what it does as well is, you know, inflammation and cytokines can as well um, trigger dysregulation of the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary axis are, are related to cortisol, which further increase inflammation, which further would lead to affect on, you know, at the brain level, as well the autonomic peripheral nervous system you know, change in the autonomic nervous system the same way, and which leads to increased inflammation, and again, um, uh, affect, you know, affect on the brain, and it can lead as well to mitochondrial damage, which would be uh, related to um, um, the, the uh, dysfunction in energy, um, function of a cell, and that directly leads to um, muscle function impairment. So that would be more sort of a peripheral um, pathway by which, you know, we would have fatigue where the, uh, the muscle don't activate or are not, you know, uh, they're not um, recruited as well as before. Um, now this is what I would call the direct pathway, but there is as well an indirect pathway. And direct pathway would be that the uh, cancer treatment, the disease or the treatment itself can lead to sort of a change in behavior or psychosocial, you know, changes. And obviously such a, um, treat, such a disease can lead to stress, depression, uh, and that by itself, an impaired sleep, the treatment, you know, has, you know, great impact on, on sleep impairment. And all of that leads to um, change and change in the HP axis, dysregulation and inflammation. It has as well as sort of a pathway to affect the brain that way too, or peripherally, sorry. And those uh, factors have all, all been um, shown to correlate with the severity of fatigue. So this is an important aspect and to remember. Um, the other pathway would be that due to cancer or the treatment, people would not be active as much. So we would have a sort of a deconditioning 
Um, and the lack of activity can have a similar effect. You know, it would have, it would lower the resistance and would, it would precipitate in, you know, an increase in inflammation and again, a neurotoxic effect on the brain. Similarly, cancer and cancer treatment can lead to, to uh, muscle loss, um, known as cagexia, due to uh, the ability to, to, um, uh, to eat in some ways, or to you to biological change that occurs, you know, that can precipitate muscle loss. Now, one interesting aspect that I wanted to uh, emphasize is that this whole inflammation and neuroinflammation at the brain level and the cytokines effect uh, is known, and this is shown in animal as well as human, that cytokine release or administration, if you administer cytokines, you automatically see a change you know, what we call sickness behavior. And the sickness behavior is basically a cluster of symptoms uh, that has very similar um, signature as the one we see in cancer-related fatigue or in cancer in general, cancer patient. And that include stress, depression, impaired sleep, and cognitive dysfunction as well as fatigue. Um, so as you know, people have a cluster of symptoms, you know, and they are always very correlated when people see cancer-related fatigue. Sometimes, you know, in most cases we see as well cognitive dysfunction, we see impaired sleep, sometimes depression, and they feel as like a cluster. And that could be explained by um, this neuroinflammation and neurotoxicity uh, as a common factor related to release of cytokines. So this is an example of evidence that they show that um, the total fatigue score, this study that has been done in breast cancer survivors, that the total fatigue score is directly related to inflammation, leukocyte. So the more fatigue, the more leukocyte you have, as well as a particular um, cytokine, CRP in this case. And the, the greater the amount of, of uh, CRP, the more fatigue. So this is kind of sort of a uh, support for um, neuroinflammation as a one source of cancer-related fatigue. This is another example of a study that looked at cortisol. And they show that um, technically, you know, cortisol decreases during the day. It's high in the morning and decreases during the day. And for cancer patients, they found out that it doesn't decrease as much. And we know that an increase in cortisol is pretty much similar symptom to what we see when we see um, effect of anxiety. And increased cortisol is basically considered to be a HPA a dysregulation that trigger an inflammation response that would lead to, in this case, cancer-related fatigue. So, okay. so now one thing that we were interested in our lab is to better understand, you know, the relative contribution of central brain level, 
you know, each, you know the, the source of fatigue at the brain level versus peripheral at the muscle level. So in our lab uh, with my mentor, Dr. Yue, you know, done, we have done several um, studies. And in this particular case, we have done a study in 16 uh, cancer patients uh, referred to palliative medicine. Um, the stage three, stage four. So these are really advanced cancer patients. And we recruit as well edge match control. And we uh, ask them to perform a fatigue task. So basically what we do is we measure their maximum force and we tell them, okay, we want you to hold at 30% of that maximum. And we provide a visual feedback for that. And we want you to sustain as long as you want, as you can, until you can no more sustain and when we see that they are no longer even with verbal uh, encouragement they were ne never, uh, no longer able to sustain uh, that um, uh, force then we consider that you know they we consider task failure where they get fully fatigued so when they're at 30 percent so in this case what we do you know this population um, as you can see in black here, as this is a brief fatigue inventory, has a higher score overall, which is about moderate to severe fatigue compared to healthy control, which is mild, you know, or non-existent fatigue. And it's a mixed diagnosis, by the way. They have different type of cancer, lung, thyroid, ovarian, you know, all kinds of different cancer. And what we measure, we measure brain activity, force, and muscle activity. So typically, what happens is, as you can see, we see the force, they're trying to maintain the force, and then they no longer can, and they just drop. And this is the duration, how long they, they are able to sustain. So as you can see, they are able to sustain for healthy about, about six minutes, where for cancer patient, they are not able to sustain more than three minutes, or five minutes, actually it's five minutes versus about nine minutes. So they are not able to, to sustain and they fatigue faster. Now, in order for us to find out whether it's peripheral versus central, what we do is we uh, stimulate the nerve that uh, innervate the muscle that is activated. So when we, if we're able, if the, fat, the muscle is not fatigued, if we trigger, we should be able to generate uh, and an additional force. Does it make sense? So you hold the force. If you ask them to increase the force more, they should be able, if they're fatigued, they're not able to increase the force. So what we do is we, we basically stimulate the nerve and see how much you know, reserve they still have in the muscle. And the more the force, we call twitch force we have, the more the reserve there is. If there's no more reserve, the twitch force is zero. We're not able to produce any more force out of the muscle during the task. So in this case, as you can see, as they get fatigued, the additional force that can be generated decrease over time because the muscle gets more fatigued. And the same way for the control in, uh, you know, in the circle here. Um, but what you see is that at time of task failure, that in the control, the muscle is much more fatigued than it is in um, the cancer patient. It mean that we're able to generate, at the time where they say, I can no longer do this, that's it, I can't do this anymore. The 
activity, the muscle force is much stronger, means that they have much more reserve in their muscle than in control. So this would suggest that you know, their inability to sustain the task is mainly due to central origin, meaning that they get more fatigue at the brain level and it tells them I can't do it anymore rather than at the muscle level. What we can do as well to look at muscle fatigue is look at EMG. So when the muscle is no longer able to maintain the force or start failing, you know, what the brain is trying to do is trying to say to excite more of the muscle to try to generate more force. And so you have a an increase in electrical activities in the muscle. And what we find out is that for um, the uh, control, we're able to increase that muscle activity more than in um, cancer patients, which means that you have the muscle is definitely more fatigued. Similarly, we look at brain activity. So during the task, so we measure brain activity during the whole task. And what we see, so different, you know, we use electro, electrical encephalogram. And um, what we are able to measure, and this is mainly in the two area that control the muscle, the motor area. And cell works at different frequency. And the beta band is basically a, um, a frequency which kind of tells you uh, the ability for the brain to improve excitability. So in a sense, what happened is that the brain, when you don't do any movement, the brain has a tendency to have a background inhibition. And when we see that, we see high beta. As soon as you want to do a movement, you have to decrease that inhibition. So beta decrease, and you're able to do the movement. So in this case, what we see is that uh, cancer-related um, patients, patients with fatigue, are not able to decrease their beta as much as control. So there is a, a um, in brain abnormality um, in terms of activity here. And we find out that this um, inability to decrease beta is directly related to the twitch force, which means that the less they're able to decrease their activity to promote movement, the more, the less peripheral fatigue there is. So in a sense, you know, the source of fatigue is mainly at the brain level. Similarly, we look at a different band, which um, has different function, and we found out that they have abnormal activity at baseline, and they are not able to recover. So the red line, you see this is what it is at baseline, is much higher. And at the end of the task, they're, able, they're not able to get back to, to their normal values at baseline, where in uh, control in blue, they're able to get back to, uh, to their baseline value. So this lack of recovery, this would be a sort of a lack of brain activity recovery, found out that it's directly related and correlated with the level of fatigue score. So all of this is to say that you know, the uh, measure of um, central fatigue is, uh, is supported by abnormality that we see at the brain level. One other way to look at this is to look at what we call brain-to-muscle coupling. 
the more the brain and the muscle are coupled, the more they're able to generate a force. And we found out that in cancer fatigue, the brain and muscle are less coupled, especially you know, either before and after, which means that the brain is not able to drive the muscle as well. It's not as efficient to drive the muscle and drive force compared to control. So in summary, we found that cancer patients are fatigued earlier. And the early fatigue has a central brain rather than peripheral origin. And this seems to be caused by the inability to increase motor output um, as by the brain as muscle fatigue. So now, this is what's done in, as you see, in a particular population. So we don't really know how much this generalized to other population in breast cancer. Uh, for example, with lower stage, um, so this would need to kind of be explored in other population. Yes. Yes. I'm going to skip a few slides. Um, so the other thing I wanted to point out is that um, neuroinflammation doesn't come on its own. As you know, there are patients that get fatigued from the beginning, even before treatment, all the way through treatment and, and after, and some don't even experience any fatigue at all. And so there is really huge variability in response to the treatment or the cancer. And researchers recently um, suggesting that there is a host of risk factors or um, that would explain that difference between patients. So for example, there is some behavioral risk factors. If people, before they even start cancer and they started treatment, have childhood adversity, depression history, trade anxiety, or catastrophizing tendency, which means the tendency of, of um, having a negative uh, attitude towards their their treatment or the outcome or sleep disturbance, would, they would have a higher correlation to fatigue, which means that would, this would be a higher risk factor for developing this chain of event that will lead to cancer-related fatigue. Similarly, people that are inactive, obese, have a tendency to, as well, have a higher risk of developing fatigue. So in that sense, you know, this is another risk factor. The other risk factor is biological, which is more genetic. And they found out that people that have, um, due to cellular aging, over comorbidity, or what we call a um, genetic, small genetic variation in cytokine, will have a higher tendency to trigger that uh, inflammation uh, response and fatigue. So without getting too much into the detail, this shows that, you know, the, uh, the more you have is genetic variation, the higher the severity of fatigue. So in summary, the specific mechanism of CRA remains poorly understood. Uh, it's basically main, mainly due, you know, based on, on association. It most likely involves multiple systems, including pro-inflammatory cytokine, HPA dysregulation, skeletal muscle wasting, the inflammation is believed to be one major and important pathway that leads to cancer-related fatigue. 
And the wide variety in cancer fatigue symptom experienced by cancer patients may be due to individual variation in risk or predispos predisposition. For more information about Kessler Foundation, go to KesslerFoundation.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.